Ooh. Hello. And welcome back. Welcome back to us. I mean, technically, <laughs> we went away. You didn't go. I mean, maybe you went away as well. Maybe that's that's part of it. Yeah. We're, Everybody. We're Joram and Tegan. Um, I'm Tegan. You're Joram. No, it's the other way around. <laughs> that would be, I think I'd quite like to be a Joram. I think, I mean, <laughs> in Germany, it was anyway okay because Tegan was like Herr Tegan. So I got like the, the manly respect um, in German academic circles. But like now everybody knows I'm a girl. A girl. Um, yeah, and this is the Plants and Pipettes podcast, um, where we talk about plant science or and stuff that's going on in the world of molecular biology and lots of other things. And I think this is also where we have to start this week. Other things. Yeah, so just um, we want to say, like, probably a lot of you have been feeling not great in the last couple of weeks. There's been a lot of things happening in the world. So just to acknowledge that if you're not feeling great, that's okay, maybe. It might be. I mean, there's good reasons for it. Um, if you're black or a person of color, feel free to, like, skip past what we're going to talk about in the first bit. We're going to talk about Black Lives Matter for a bit. Then we're going to talk about, like, some of the stuff happening in the LGBTQ world very briefly and also COVID. But then in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about fun shit only. So we're not doing the science this time. It's going to be just fun stuff. So if you are feeling a little bit ungreat right now, which is possible and... Perfectly yeah. understandable. Skip on through. Feel free yeah. to do that. We have um, chapter marks as always. So you can just like skip to the chapter where it's just like um, good spirited, uh, fun stuff. Um, but before we get to that, I think we have to talk about a few things that are absolutely not fun. And I think I want to open um, with like a very clear statement that first of all, yes, Black Lives Matter. Uh, I find it pretty upsetting that it's a point of discussion to to some people. To us, it absolutely isn't. And we stand with the people fighting for justice and equality, um, especially right now in the United States, but all over the world, because there's many reasons for uh, and many good causes fighting for justice and equality. And we stand with that and we support that. Uh, yeah. And of course, the disclaimer here is Yoram and I are both white, very white. So we don't have, it's not our space to talk about this, but we want to say that this is this is obviously an important issue that's happening. This is a, not an issue that's happening. It's a it's an important movement that's that's happening at the moment. Yeah, and um, I think it's also something. Um, yeah, I think it's something that is very important also for white people to say. Like we should not take over the discussion as white people, but I think it's a, very important to acknowledge that like we are also in this, and um, us just standing back. And saying like, look, this is not our problem. It's not our place to speak. Will not solve the issues. So I find it very important. I've heard it actually in many other like podcasts and blogs and publications as well, where people took a strong stance. And I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. And you might have noticed that we took a break for two weeks now. We've been off air, and um, yeah. And I think I I don't know how how you felt during that time, but for me it was really. Um, necessary for me to step away from the internet for a little bit um not because i was uh, fed up with the things so in a way you can say that but mostly because it was just too much to me, uh, for me uh, and pretty much all of the channels that i was like looking at the internet like um twitter even on like useless sites like imager um 
all I could see were like horrific evidence of police brutality against protesters, bystanders, journalists, civilians, um, and reading all these tales of uh, black people of color who were targeted, assaulted, harassed by the police, um, not only in the United States, but also in Germany. And it was at one point um, just too much that I could not, I just felt wrong. It felt wrong to me to be sort of creative and write fun things about plant science or even host a podcast where we just talk about what's going on in the world of plant science i just couldn't really um and and this is the first point where like a comment on that like the fact that you can turn stuff off and step away this in itself is a huge privilege to be yeah. able to say i need a break i'm gonna turn this off this is this is your reality as a white person this is yeah. something that is part part of the the issue as a thing and second the the second part of the statement about like it's hard to sit and be creative at this time. It's hard to read about and joke about and laugh about bullshit that's happened in the world and plant science. That in itself is, again, a comment on how much privilege there is in our lives that we can just basically ignore a lot of issues because they're not affecting us. And I, and I mean, like, ignore in a way where we don't have that burden on our life as we go through the world. So I can concentrate on my plant science because there isn't something niggling. And Hopefully that's something that a lot of people have realized in the last few months of COVID. It's not the same thing at all, but you realize how something that is existing in the background can cause so much stress on your life. And you're like, oh, I'm suddenly really exhausted because of a pandemic. Yeah, this is part of our privilege that we don't have to deal with this shit. Like, like just like you're struggling to be creative because of seeing people suffer. There are people who are actually suffering and mm -hmm. like even this this suffering that that is is causing a loss of creativity here in, in us it's it's secondhand suffering right it's yeah it's seeing suffering it's not the actual suffering no absolutely absolutely i'm absolutely aware that this is um yeah this is my privilege that i can say like what i did instead was um turn on on writing my thesis uh because it was a very technical thing to do it was something that really I could draw my attention away and I, I could sort of afford to dry, uh, to have my attention drawn away because yeah, I I'm fine. I'm just affected by, by the news. But uh, apart from that, my, my privilege, my whiteness protects me from so much stress that other people have to go th uh, through um, that suddenly is brought sort of to the surface level of, of media attention. Um, and yeah, it was, yeah, it just felt wrong to, for me, to be yeah to to be active here on plants and pipettes um and i thought that too like i mean up until now like instagram i have i follow people who are educational but still mostly instagram for me is escapism like i look at pretty pictures of plants i look at sewing community posts i i look at posts on feminism and most of this is like very like fun and light-hearted and then suddenly i saw this change where it's like confronting the reality that exists for so many people and that was yeah that was hard that was quite a like amazing yeah but again not my hardship that's just something where it's like okay this is this is something that we have to be thinking about this is yeah and the other reason um that sort of played into our little hiatus that we um, went through was that we uh we didn't really want to dilute things on social media uh, we didn't want to contribute to sort of um, a background noise that would drown out um, people raising attention to much more important things than 
fun little tidbits about uh, plant science, um, which also meant that we were very quiet on um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and not only on our blog, um, because, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, we, we we liked and retweeted some uh, messages um, about the protests, but we didn't really contribute yeah, to any more Yeah, I was just trying chatter. to keep it to like one story a day, sort of saying, hey, we support this, diversity is important, and, and kind of not putting pictures of, of plants and stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we're back, um, let's talk about what can we do now? Because there was one big problem that I had um, that made me sort of reclude myself was this feeling of of helplessness of of i can't really do anything about this the issues that are causing the problems are so deep that it's really hard to find a place to start changing them um so yeah we thought a little bit about what we can actually do and i think one of the first and important things is to to listen especially and with we now i say um, not only as a society, but specifically also as privileged white people. Um, what are points that we can do? And first thing is listen, listen to the voices, listen to the things that um, people like uh, black people of color, other people of color share. Um, and yeah, don't immediately f follow the urge to post and say and give your viewpoint on the situations, but instead listen to what other people are going through. Yeah, I think that's like something that's positive that's come out of this for me. I, I don't think, I mean, I'm hoping for most of our listeners, this finding out about what's happening is not a complete surprise. Hopefully you had some awareness before this about pr police brutality, about these disparities that exist. But I found that in previous examples, there was never really enough quiet for long enough to really hear pro like different voices for a significant amount of time. And I know part of that is because I wasn't listening. It's it's not that the voices weren't there. Um, it's that finally I shut up enough to listen to them. Um, but I found that that's really been a, a nice, interesting thing. I mean, amazing thing coming out of this that you're hearing not just the response to an event which has been happening in the past. Like often it's like, you know, there's a terrible murder by police of a black person. And you hear like, this is upsetting, this is terrible. And you just hear that first event. But now people are discussing the, the, the larger scale and like letting it be discussed more. And again, it's not, yeah, it's not that people are discussing, it's that pe other people are shutting up. We're shutting up enough to to hear it. Um, and that's something which I think is is... I really appreciate that. It's really amazing that people are putting their effort in to let, like, educate other people, which nobody yeah. owes us that, but that's yeah. amazing. Um, and linked to that is also the idea of amplifying these voices, um, giving them room, even if it's just, like, small things like a retweet or if you... Um, have a platform that you can use and you are connected to people um, who have something to say that you allow them to, to give them sort of reach, you give them opportunity to speak uh, and amplify their voices without putting yourself into um, the entire, into the story and into their tale. Um, also something that, especially on social media that that's been going on and that I, yeah, that I found quite useful um, because it's suddenly the, I got very different people now in my timeline um, that otherwise I, I don't know how I would have stumbled across them and this because other people amplified their voices. I did read their take on the stories now. 
And mm -hmm. finally, the thing, or like not not the last thing, but one other thing is just actively supporting. Um, if you if you're able to do that, this is also something where again our privilege comes in because I'm able to financially support things. I gave money to one of the large bailout funds in the U.S. that support um, Black Lives Matter protesters. Um, or if you are in um, in places where the demonstrations are happening, you can also physically be there and show your support um, if that's uh, possible for you. There are also a lot of resources out there. If you can't financially or physically support, there are other ways to support if you do feel passionate about this movement because different people have different abilities and nobody can judge based on their abilities what other people should do. So there are ways to do things if you can't physically or um, financially support and if you want to support, of course. Yeah. Um. For, for me, I want to just like, I mean... Yeah, this is this is kind of obvious. I guess a lot of scientists listen to us, and scientists you're used to kind of knowing things, being kind of a smart person, um, and then like learning about a subject and kind of being the authority on that subject, um, and that that can be problematic now for learning and and getting information because it's it's there's there's a period of people saying you you know nothing, you really know nothing, and and you need to learn a lot more, um, but. As a scientist, your value is that you can learn. You can do your research and you can learn. And as a scientist, you have absolutely no worth if you cannot take in information and use that information to change your opinion. In this case, it's, I mean, the information is there. It's, there's so much information. I mean, there's an abundance of, of proof. Um, if you are not able to get that information and, and change your mind, yeah think about that <laughs> i guess um and then the second the second thing i wanted to say is kind of like one thing i really like that's come out of here i, I don't know what, how to say it it's, it's i don't want to say it's the most important thing because it's not really my place to say that it's the most important thing but it's maybe like my favorite thing which sounds a bit like weird but it's this idea of being racist versus anti-racist um and i i really agree with this i i so think the idea that being neutral, there's no such thing as, as doing nothing and being neutral. You have to be for or against something. This is, I, I'm sorry, this is how it is with everything. You declare for, you, do, you do declare against. And if somebody does something wrong and you don't declare against them, and I mean, obviously, if you have the power to do it, there's some situations where you won't have any power. But if you have the power and you choose not to declare against them because it's not your problem, yeah, you've, you've declared for them. You've supported them by saying nothing. And this is true in in not just this issue but every issue that's i'm sorry that's how it is it sucks but everything we do in this world is a choice and you got to choose guys and you can choose different ways but you got to choose yeah i think it's one of these these issues that i see coming up more often like this this tendency in our democratic society to think that everything can be discussed and we can find a middle ground for all of the questions and for like regular things like how how should we create roads uh, like for cars or for bikes you can find a middle ground between the two positions of saying like only bikes and only cars but you can't find a middle ground for a position between racist and anti-racist you can't say like mm. okay um, let's make a compromise let's be a little bit racist it's still wrong like as long as you are racist it's it's wrong and um, that's uh, something um, yeah that I also see now in this in the midst of, of, of this, these issues um, being on the surface now, um, that more people actively 
like pick a side and and luckily many of them pick the anti-racist side and say like we aren't we don't support racism and what we see is racism in action and we have to to fight against that um and yeah as you said i think it's it's something sort of positive coming from it that it's people who sort of recluded themselves to stay somewhere in the middle or outside of it and say like it's not it's not our fight and maybe everybody can agree or agree to disagree or something like neutral like that it's just we can't have that anymore i do i do think there's some subtlety in it as far as like i mean there's this is this argument, not, not argument. This is a discussion that's happening now about like everyone is racist, and like if you're existing in a racist culture, society, system, and you're benefiting from it, yeah, unfo- that's that's true. Unfortunately, that's true. Um, but you can still be a racist and choose to try to have anti-racist actions, and I think that's something where there is a subtlety. So, yeah. like everybody's going to fail all the time and not do the best job they can and get exhausted, and that's 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 fine. But you can't. By not doing something, you do have to acknowledge that, that that is a choice that you've made to not do something. And that that's we all fail at everything all the time, but you can keep on trying and strive to be more anti racist than you currently are. I think that's that to me is the yeah. point. Again, like there are many smarter, more informed people who have things to say about this. Go look into their stuff. But yeah, <laughs> I think that's that's the point to me. Um Yeah. But being active is, is super Yeah, and yeah. that brings us sort of to our expertise like the scientific world because um yeah we are plant scientists we are not the people you should ask um i mean you can ask us but you shouldn't take our authority on questions of of society and um yeah how how to set up a society in a in a good way and how to do civil action and all of these things where we might have opinions but we definitely have no expertise on that um but when it comes to science we've been in the scientific system and we've um, seen some things there and that's why i think uh, we also want to spend um, a little bit of time on talking about science because the scientific system is not outside of these issues I mean, again, even in that, we've seen science inside the system from our point of view. Mm-hmm. So that's something to stay yeah. there. Um, yeah. And if you you want to hear about stories like ongoing real life things, there's a hashtag Black in the Ivory, um, Ivory being the ivory tower of academia, which you should go and have a look um, to see some horrible stories about, yeah, racism. Yeah, because I think one issue stems from the fact that many scientists believe that it's uh, the academic system is a meritocracy. Like people no, get to their positions because they deserve them because they are so good at what they're doing. And yeah, as you said, no, absolutely wrong. It's not true. Um, you can pretty much look at at. I don't know if it's any higher, but most highest you can find other factors outside of qualification that played a major role in that. I mean, we've discussed, Yarm and I have discussed this to certain degrees before. Like I took a, I got a scholarship for a PhD pro- uh, project. I paid for my airfare to get to Germany. That was $1,000 plus to get there. That's something where I could do that because I haven't had a privilege. I like, yeah. these, these are really simple examples. There's more direct examples of racism that I've seen had i've had people discuss with me thinking that that was an okay thing to do um in the context of academia and it comes down to the fact that academia is part of society um it doesn't exist outside of society and society 
um, at least I, I'm speaking now for sort of Western culture, Central European, Northern American cultures. Um, and I guess to some extent, it's also true in other cultures. Um, it's These societies are inherently structurally racist. And that doesn't mean that every person in this society is a very devout, um, bad-faithed racist um, who thinks, uh, who believes in white supremacy. But it means that the system favors people uh, or works against people of color, discriminates against people of color, makes uh, makes it harder for them to to take part in the system, and um, or are actively deterred from the system. And this also happens in science um, when. Um, yeah, when I look back at the at uh, the places that I've seen the, the the institutes and groups, you very often had on a sort of master's and PhD level uh, a very diverse group of people. But as soon as you climbed uh, the career path, the career tracks, and got got to the leadership positions, the higher up these leader positions were, the more they became a white and male, um, because this reflects the inherent sexism and racism in society. So. Also in the scientific system, we have to acknowledge that there are these problems and that we can act on them. I think what's important um, to to point out when we talk about like issues uh, coming from from racism in academia is um, that it's not something. It's not a burden. Like we can't put the burden to fix this on the people who are affected by it, um, which means we can't go to people of color and ask them like, how can we, what should we do to fix the system? Because they are under enough stress going through the system right now um, that we have to sort of come up with ideas together. Um, and there's a, an, an article that I, that I think I got from the, uh, the nature, uh, what's the, the, the newsletter that they send out? Uh, not digest. Nature briefing. The nature hey, briefing. Stop poaching from nature briefing. Nature briefing is where I get my ideas for the podcast from. <laughs> no, I got this one also from there, um, uh, and it's called "Incredible Import." Uh, or it's uh, ten points um, to help people make for, especially for white people, to do better in academia. And uh, I found this a very important read, and I uh, encourage everyone. Um, to read that and take this to heart um, this is a good starting point um, to yeah, change your behavior in the academic system to change it for the better and i think that's also something i've been seeing a lot around in the last um like maybe week or so people saying hey like we should be beyond the point now where we're discussing whether black lives matter hopefully like i mean this shouldn't be an argument we need to have for a prolonged period of time like do you think people should get to live yes or no like if no please exit the planet if yes like okay let's work on that but this the discussion should now be like oh i'm white and i'm racist how can i fix myself and work on yeah. myself to like make myself less racist as opposed to should i discuss with my auntie or if she thinks that black people get to live no like of course that's 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 not a discussion like i mean apparently we need to have this discussion but yeah that's not the point the point is improve yourselves yeah yeah um something that goes along the lines of of this idea do, why do we even have to discuss this um there's something that was also like made rounds on social media this um during a talk um of jane elliott uh was Actually, I don't know what, what her profession is, but she gives talks on, on racism. And she asked a large crowd of white people, um, would you be willing to be treated as a black per the way a black person is treated in the US right now? Um, and asked them to yeah, stand up uh, if they 
are willing to accept the same treatment that black people get and nobody got up in the crowd um and so she said yeah so that means you know about the problems you know what's going on and um why do you accept that it's going on that it's uh, happening to other people uh you can't say that you didn't know that because if you truly didn't know that you would be fine to be treated as uh, as them um mm. and i th i thought that was very like impressive to me and also something um that we should maybe use as a tool when we look at an academic structure in a system and and think about um asking ourselves like would i be happy in this institute to be not a european person um and like would i accept the same treatment and if you have doubts that you would be happy to receive that treatment um maybe that you can use that as a starting point to figure out how you can change that to the point yeah. where It doesn't make a difference where you come from when you work in the academic system, at least within like the the, the range that you can influence. Um, I but think we've had this discussion. I mean, I don't want to like move the conversation away from Black Lives Matter, but I think we've had this um, discussion in the context of any. Um, I think probably in sexism, we've talked about it before. This idea of like. If you're asking somebody a question and you're asking, you wouldn't ask the same question to a white man. Maybe just don't ask that question. Yeah. Like, or don't make that comment of like, oh, you look tired or are you pregnant? Um, and, and touching people and like, that's, that's a good rule. Like, yeah. just think about your old white man boss and see if you'd ask him that. And if not, maybe just shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and the, the, I think the the final thing, the final point that I want to make in this part of of our discussion is that I also have racist thoughts and ideas from time to time, and they are not like conscious, active thoughts. But um, I the other day I realized I was in a different part of town, and there was like a different crowd, and I felt better um, and in the park. And then I realized this crowd were like white people in their 30s with kids. And suddenly I had this like subconscious feeling of, oh, I'm safe here. Um, although mm. there is no proof that I would be in a different part where it's not just white people in, of my age group, um, that I would be less safe there. Um, and I think the important thing is to acknowledge that these things just happen. It's, it's, it's sort of an imprint of the society that we're in. And it's important to to sort of Like like in meditation, when you have like a bad thought, you acknowledge that you have this bad thought and then you work on it that you don't in internalize this, that you don't use that as a basis for your action, that you don't then suddenly say, like, oh, I have to like move to this area and actively avoid this other area because I feel safer there. Um, because then And then even say, oh, yeah, that's because of the bad people that are in this other area um, that are not like that are not white. Um, and... Yeah, I think that's that's part of the the educating yourself way, like like actually reading other points of view because it's very hard to to have your own feelings and and actually assess your own feelings and and things. But if you are reading other people writing on this and say, "Oh, like I'm in a scenario where people look scared," or I, you know, when they see your response and and discuss it, that's yeah something where you can address your prejudices. And it's it's hard for us to realize how bigoted we are in every way while continuing to exist in our world so the only way to do that is to kind of have somebody from outside tell you and you can yeah, do that you can go and educate yourself you can read stuff that's yeah. that's possible and, and take take small steps um and and try every day to like be a little bit better 
um, in in this uh, regard. Um, be a little bit uh, less racist or um, yeah, acknowledge that or question some of the feelings that you have towards groups of people and question where that comes from and if that's actually a thing you want to be and uh, an opinion you want to have and something that you want to express because probably you don't really if you step back but it's very easy to just sort of subconsciously like believe and say and do these things um, because we see them happening elsewhere in our structurally discriminatory society yeah um, I kind of want to discuss very briefly things that I'm not sure about still um, mm -hmm. and which makes me uncomfortable I feel very uncomfortable about everything which I think is a good thing I think um, yeah it's it's not my place to be comfortable right now and usually discomfort comes from learning so hopefully that's happening um but i i feel unsure about lots of things so one question is being vocal versus letting others speak so this is a very fine line um like as yoram said it's important to not just shut up and let people be racist it's important to declare that we want to strive to be anti-racist But again, I, I feel like this is not my my place to speak. I don't have the expertise to speak that. So this is a, something that Yoram and I discussed about whether we should be putting together some resource or trying to do something. And we're like, well, this is not really our point, our, our place. Um, that's that's something that I'm, I'm still trying to work out properly. Mm -hmm. um, another issue is the local versus global nature of Black Lives Matter. So I think it's it's really, really important that Black Lives Matter speaks specifically to the black people in the US, even more specifically about the issue of police brutality and murder of their people. This is, this is insanely important to deal with this issue that is local to the US. Um, that's really important. But on the other hand, I'm seeing now that this is becoming more global. And as somebody who's in the UK now and also who originally is from Australia, I'm seeing like the Black Lives Matter movement um, applied to immigrants in the UK and also to the indigenous population in Australia and people talking about how this is also something that can come from it. And I think it's really important that shouldn't take away from the original call and the original movement. But I also really appreciate this global movement because I have seen that some countries like the UK and Australia can be like, ah ha ha, look at the crazy US, look what's happening over there and how badly they treat their people. Whereas, yeah. I mean, no, the UK has the same problems. Australia, I mean, if any Australians want to claim that we didn't rip the indigenous people from their land and enslave them, like, good luck, go read a book. Like, I, yeah. So I think it is important that it's being extended because I think If it's not extended, there's a really easy thing for countries and also companies to cop out. So, again, if you're working in a German company, you can say, hey, Black Lives Matter is really important. And your company can be like, ah, oh, yeah, but, you know, we're in Germany. There's not that many, you know, black African-American people to hire. So, you know, we can't do anything. You say, hey, let's look at diversity more generally. So, yeah. I'm still not really sure about this and I think it differs from people to people what their opinion is because I think both sides are valid. I think it's really important to focus on the local issues um, but I'm also really glad and I think it's also important that it's becoming more global because I want countries and companies to not let themselves off the hook and to think about their own issues with diversity more broadly um, within... Yeah within the com company and yeah 
I think it's um, something that can be transferred from this, uh, like the relevant aspects in your uh, in your respective country. Like Germany also has a strong racism problem. We don't have as many black people of color here, but we have many different other people of color here. Um, and, and what we definitely have is police brutality. And um, this is a good occasion to also critically look at the way police works in Germany. It works very different from the way it works in the US, so you can't take measures that would be important to get in place in the US and say, okay, let's do them here in Germany. We have to find different solutions because the problems are different, but the general idea of having a critical look at the police right now and at police brutality um, is something that can be taken to here. And I think um, in this case, it also doesn't really take away attention from stuff that's happening in the United States because the impact that that German activities can have on US politics is very limited, but it, ca it can be very strong within Germany. So taking this, this movement um, and changing structures here is something that I think is, can be very positive um, or can, is, can be a very good occasion to do this now. And I th see that similar to the Me Too movement that also started with a very specific focus um, also in the United States and then moved across the globe and in different countries had very different problems that were linked to the initial issue but were not the same thing that were then addressed uh, in, in the wake or in the sort of wave of, of activity across the globe. And I agree with that in many ways, but there's also a very specific story linked to the slavery of the African-Americans, and that's that also cannot be ignored. Um, and I, so, yeah. I, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I can also, I also have an argument saying, hey, this needs to be global because, for example, like the indigenous population in Australia, it's about 2% of our population. That's very hard for that 2% to get a voice even in Australia, let alone in the world, so they could never get this kind of um, movement happening. So I can say it's important, but I, I I think we also have to acknowledge that there's a a specific issue specific to black people in the US and even more specifically to the police brutality. And of course it has like colonial capitalist disgusting roots, but I think there's there's some some there needs to be a balance. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, this is something which I'm. I'm not sure about. And again, I'm. I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable talking about this. I. Um. I'm uncomfortable about the the balance between being vocal and shutting up. Um. And this then is the by final the way something. Um. I've I've known that from like other sort of um, groups that I've been in, involved in, and I think the idea that I follow at least in this thing is that I'm I'm vocal when there are no. Um, people of color for example around if I'm in a sort of white panel um, in a white group and we talk about issues then I'm very vocal then I speak up also like for example about feminism when I, I was at work and was in a, in a meeting and all the men t talked all the time um, hardly any uh, women spoke then I, w I, I was vocal there to raise the issue but when there's others already speaking or when there's an opportunity for um, for, for them to, to let them speak, then I, I'd rather step down even if I, if I have uh, opinions and let them talk and I don't talk over them. Um, this Which is, is also my the argument for, for um, what we discussed for stepping down from Instagram for a bit. I mean, the yeah. algorithms favor people who already have large audiences and if those people who are predominantly 
white, um, usually white middle class females in, in the feeds I'm following, um, then they just drown out other voices. So that's an argument for just shutting up in that situation. Um, yeah. But I, I think it, it is nuanced. And I, again, yeah. I yeah. don't know. Uncomfortable, confused, trying to work on it. Um, the final thing I'm kind of reading about a bit more now is this defunding the police and what goes into that. Um, it's something where when I first read about it, my immediate reaction was pushback. I was like, no, no, I want the police to be here. Um because I'm scared of violence, which is probably unreasonable. I'm pretty safe. But um, I'm reading a lot about this and I can see some very good arguments. Um, I had no idea how well the police were funded. I'm That's yeah, interesting. So I'm trying to, trying to understand more about that now and how that would be, how that's going to work. And I think there's, it's going to happen in a few um, states in the US that are already kind of talking about this. So, yeah. Did you see the John Oliver piece on on exactly no, this? No, not yet. No, I haven't. It's 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 very good because he also like he makes first of all he makes the point that defunding the police is uh, can be misunderstood or is actively willfully misunderstood by people um, to mean abolish the police completely and not have something like the police in place. Um, which is what they're actually calling for is like reforming the duties of the police, uh, installing social systems that sort of take away duties from the police in terms of like crisis counseling, um, dealing with homeless people, uh, schools, um, and, mm. and, and lots of things where, especially in, in the United States, um, you don't have any other social system to call if you have, like, if a homeless person needs help than to call the police. And so there's always people with guns showing up at places where there are problems that might not be resolved with guns, but with counseling, yeah. with social services. And uh, the funding the police, as far as I understood it, or as, as John Oliver pointed it out, is sort of taking a cut of the fund of their funds and putting them into social systems so the police can actually focus on the things that are important in police work like dealing with actual crime so they don't have to step in when a crisis counselor would be needed because there is a different yeah. there's like a specialized trained person so the police doesn't have to do this work and yeah the work and can i, be done I better. You're, this is this i've been reading about um but it's definitely something where like when i first saw the concept i i had this mental discomfort which mm -hmm. i think is something where like yeah, yeah it was good to read more about and i i should keep on learning a bit more about that yeah i think that's yeah uh, well, we'll link to some of the sources that we talked about um we'll link all of them in the show notes same with this video <laughs> i feel weird even talking about this topic not because i don't think it's something that needs to be talked about but because i don't think it's my place to talk about it um but i i think it is my place to to be vocal about it but not to educate about it like and and be an authority about it i'm, I'm not an authority about this and this is something that i feel really uncomfortable about um, um it's, just, I, I think it's we went off air for like your and i just like blabbed for a bit about this um <laughs> and we had a little bit of of off uh, the records like like we don't know what to do this is our way of of sharing our experiences with that and which means next to nothing but uh, let's talk about some let's move to the topic to something then um yeah. yeah i think like there's so much stuff out there where you can educate yourself um yeah i want to quickly talk a good and a bad thing about firstly lgbtq um rights so some of you might know that trump sucks yeah you saw this 
Did you see this, Joram? Uh, About two or three days ago, I guess, or no, I didn't six see this. Six days ago, maybe a week ago. I know um, I saw this. Yeah, no, I see the headline. I saw this. Doctors can now discriminate against LGBTQ people, um, which is horrible. Um, and this also came on the anniversary of the Pulse shooting, um, which had nearly fifty victims. So in um, Florida, so this felt very deliberate. Um, and it's just it's just generally this is 2020 now this is just ridiculous and disgusting and unacceptable so that was something sad happening in the world um the not really the flip side but to put something good news you probably also heard hopefully that um the u.s supreme court has declared that um the anti the federal anti-bias laws that exist um will also cover people um who are gay lesbian but also transgender workers as far as not being discriminated against so that's like something yeah nice that's coming um yeah and then quickly about corona again a bad thing and a good thing the bad thing is corona is still happening guys um if you're in australia germany even the UK, unfortunately, it might feel like things are getting better. We haven't worked out how to deal with corona yet. Corona has not got less contagious. Um, yes, we can um, decrease transmission, but that's mainly by staying locked down. So if your country is stupid like my current country is and is trying to unlock down right now, um, try to stay locked down if you can. You owe it to people who can't lock down. Um, and be aware of what's happening in other countries, India, Brazil, like... It's it's moving. There are huge peaks happening, and like it's it's still it's a bad it's a bad thing. Um, don't get complacent as well. Like now is not the time to go out to bars and and clubs and and pubs and yeah. So basically, we can't like it's not suppressed in the community enough to to let people unlock down. But we want to unlock down, and it's like if we had locked down faster you could let people unlock down and it would still stay low enough, but yeah. it's not there. And it's it's like, yeah. we're the second worst country in the world. Like UK has hardly any people in it. It's so small. And yet we're like, yeah. yeah. The statistic I saw was yeah. 1% of the world's population, 10% of the corona deaths. Yeah. Like, at the, same, at the same time, I, I sort of think like you can be smart about... Like you can still reduce your risk very significantly <clears throat> and still like take advantage of services like getting a coffee and all of these things. But it relies on the fact that people are actually smart, that they like actually keep the distance and actually wear the That's mask when point. they go to shop. My point, my point for locking down is the being it's it's being careful. I actually I I never think that Primark needs to open again personally. Um, but yeah, like local coffee shops, I can understand how getting coffee is okay. Staying there and drinking coffee with lots of people is is not okay. So I think there are ways to do this carefully. What I'm what I'm kind of worried about is that people think that because the government says something coronavirus has gone away and they can go back to the old normal yeah. um and they can also people who are if they're not being careful they don't just risk themselves getting sick they risk the weak people in society getting sick and that's something that i'm i'm not i'm scared about honestly i'm, I'm just i'm scared about it you have one more thing no i have one i have one positive thing about corona um okay. there was something in the nature briefing yesterday um, there's a very cheap, very readily available steroid called dexamethasone, and there have been some early study trials which suggest that it might be helpful in preventing corona deaths. So I think it reduced 
death by one third for people who were in a severe condition. So that means like on respirations and mm. and really bad. And then one fifth reduction um, in people who were like not so severe. So these are pretty big numbers. Like that's like one third is a huge amount. Um, it's super early and everything, but it's it's kind of the first one of the first promising things and also it's 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 cheap it's readily available which is great if that turns out good okay positive things <laughs> can we have some music i can i can play our jingle although it, fe it feels wrong in these times to play it but let's do it this is where the fun begins this is where the fun begins this is where the fun begins uns, uns. yeah this thing that we usually talk about at the top of the show is like a little bit about our personal life. Um, I bought a serger. I started to sew. I said that uh, in previous episodes. And I suffer from gear acquisition syndrome. And I used the old machine of my mother-in-law with a sewing machine. And I was like, I it's good but i want something i want it to be very very nice and so i bought a used serger and i made myself okay, a t-shirt i'm so happy i need to like interject here this is uh, like when you told me that you bought a serger i just burst out laughing quietly by myself in my home um this is so yarm like i nobody else who is listening to this knows yarm well enough this is so yarm like i wanted to start sewing i i, I learned some sewing on my mom's old machine when i was younger um and then i came to germany i wanted to start sewing so i bought a very cheap like 70 pound 70 euro um ikea the crappiest you could have sewing machine and after using that for a few years i, I bought myself I thought, okay i'm gonna treat myself i'm gonna get a real sewing machine yarm's like i'm gonna do this properly and buy not just a sewing machine but a serger like <laughs> amazing yeah. yeah but it was um, it was it's used it's second hand so it wasn't as expensive and the results are so much nicer it, you should explain what a serger is it's kind of like it's like a sewing machine but it's a bit different uh, to be honest like sewing machines are one of the pieces of technology that I understand the least like there is needles going up and down and suddenly you have a stitch there um, oh there's so some really cool animations on how this works it's I've pretty cool I've seen so many of them I still have no idea how this works and with a serger it's a machine that has two needles and it cuts at the same time the fabric and you have four threads that go into the machine and somehow they get all like loopy and twisty and it sort of cuts the edge of the fabric and then wraps Basically, around guys, the fabric if you have, if you have a t-shirt um turn it on the inside and you'll see like the edges are all have all this um yeah this binding and that's been surged so that's yeah. like that really neat binding inside your your t-shirt and if you're working with knits so something stretchy um basically a serger really helps keep everything neat and beautiful yeah and yeah and yoram has one and it looks it just looks so much more professional um and my my point with this is um i i'm aiming to reduce the buying of my clothes like i like i made t-shirts now and actually like i i made one t-shirt before on a regular machine it took me like four to five hours um and with the surgery it was like 90 minutes and i had my t-shirt like plus the cutting time of the fabric um so i hope that i just don't buy t-shirts and stuff anymore and maybe i can extend you know, that to you know other when you like you take a beautiful photograph and somebody's like oh wow that's amazing what's your camera and you're like no screw you it's not just my equipment it's actually my skill i'm now gonna just always be like oh wow you must have a really great serger every time you mention <laughs> that like, like oh tegan i made this t-shirt like wow like that was a really good surgery arm you're spending a lot of money on your serger like <laughs> Just to be obnoxious. <laughs> yes. I've also been sewing and I've really been enjoying it. Um, 
the problem with sewing I find is that it's one of those things that takes quite a bit of time um but it also takes a lot of space and mess it takes mess um which for me is less of a problem because I have my own room Yoram has a baby so he has to clean it up properly I'm guessing you can't leave pins everywhere but I've kind of enjoyed having over the last two or three weeks just having like my sewing stuff everywhere all over my room and the floor being covered in like needles and chalk and stuff and just kind of getting to go straight from work and immediately start sewing stuff and yeah it's been really great yeah yeah no it's 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 super relaxing i i really enjoy it uh, and it's also stressful but it's sort of like positive stress because like well, it's, it's a feeling of productivity that's what it is you do work when you get a product but it's like i mean seriously guys it's the best um again if you have the resources it's it's a really nice hobby for being in lockdown and actually part of me feels a bit guilty because i do live in a very um isolated area and i can go for walks outside without hitting people i don't have to wear a mask if i go like into the wilderness um i feel a little bit guilty that i'm spending time inside sewing right now because it's sunny outside but no it's a great hobby no, <laughs> really no nice. guilt for that no, there you yeah. Go. yeah yeah um, and you also worked on your PhD thesis, no? Yes, that's like I made some major steps towards actually getting it ready. Um, yeah, to to submit it. Like first, it has to go through my old boss. Um, but I'm I'm like this close to sending it to my old so boss, close. who has no idea what's coming. I think he he thinks I'm already like long gone. And at one point, he'll get an email <laughs> with a very large attachment and be like, "Hello, boss, Dear this sir. is my thesis. <laughs> Please have a look at it." Um, Which is actually the tradition of a lot of German people in our lab in recent years, who have kind of disappeared for four years because they have another job, and then being like, yeah. "And by the way, <laughs> yeah. here's this thing." So maybe by the end of this year, I'm actually a doctor. Um, that's pretty exciting. Um, also, a really big shout out to our friend Fabio, who defended his PhD via Zoom. Yeah. Um, I mean, he didn't defend it via Zoom. He had a committee in the room, but we got to Zoom in to it, which was amazing. Oh, He's I did, awesome. I, 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 missed, I missed the opportunity. Like, I got some of the emails about it, but it was about, hey, please don't come in person because of Corona. Um, ah. And so, oh. but still, <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really weird times for events like this. Like, for a PG student, the defense is such a major event, and yeah, to I'm such an attention whore. Like the, I think I think it was hard for him. It was stressful not having his friends and family there. I think that that was hard. Um, and then I mean, again, I don't want I don't want to always sit on Germany, but like all my old institute but our ability to set up technology there was not great like there was a basic misunderstanding of how like email worked um so trying to sort out how to set up a zoom conference that multiple people came to must have been hard and i have to say like at the start so we're watching the defense but of course in germany you have to have even though the camera was facing um the speaker who wanted us to see um, and only his work, everybody who was in the audience had to be asked to give permission that they could record before it was able to be, like, not even record, that it could be streamed. Um, So, like, we're all tuning in and super excited to hear our our beloved friend do this. And then they're like, does anybody object? And I was like, if you object, I'm going to swim over there and cut you. Like, I'm just... (laughs) Like how, <laughs> but the, like legally, they have to ask: Do you object to your voice? Like, yeah. even if the people are not speaking because they might speak during it, yeah. they have to be able to have the chance to say no. And I was like, "You better not say no." Like, this is just yeah, that would be very mean. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, apart from that, you you have squirrel stories. 
Um, we talked about it in the past, right? If I recall correctly, you have a squirrel that's eating your crops, and we discussed how to fight off the squirrels. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was actually going to say that I'm, I'm feeling happy about the squirrels now because the crops are now big enough that they can mostly not destroy them all. Um, and also at the same time, like we have a little bird feeder with bird seeds. The squirrels are eating that and we're putting like um, peanuts out for them. And the other day I saw a squirrel. We have like a square pot plant, which is only about, I don't know, 40 centimeters by 40 centimeters square. And I saw a squirrel like rubbing itself in the dirt, like doing a little like bath. And he was kind of like moving himself, but then he would like move along the pot plant and basically do a little like inside <laughs> round of the, because it was like so small and square. And he was just like, he was loving it so much. Um, so I'm at peace with him now. And I actually started putting peanuts around the garden in like weird, difficult places to see if they can get them. Like, like hanging off a hook um, on the wall and, and stuff like that to see if they can, and the answer can is reach yes the challenge. To no, they can't. They haven't. They haven't done it. So oh, I don't then, know if our squirrels are like super stupid, but... Eventually they will. There is another video that from Mark Rober on YouTube that made, who made an obstacle course for squirrels yeah, in his garden. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. I think like 90 people sent it to me, which is very kind because I was complaining <laughs> about them so much in the podcast. I'm like, have you seen this? I'm like, yes, I have. <laughs> yes, they, yes, yes, yes. Like no challenge was too difficult for them. It might have taken them a couple of days but they always figured it out and like went through mm. all of the obstacles i'm also really enjoying like generally gardening but also like walking around my neighborhood and i've been basically finding cats and also like native australian trees i found like a eucalypt and mm. a callistamon which is a bottle brush um and generally enjoying the fact that it's kind of springy summer outside and it's, it's just it's getting really beautiful out there which is which is quite nice Let's talk a little bit about science. Um, oh, I didn't know we had to do that. <laughs> fun science. Um, okay. I, my, my, my first little story that I have from the world of science is that human studies are weird and animal studies are strange. And both of these words are written in capital letters, which you can hear over the podcast. Uh, I should have shouted it. Like, strange. <laughs> weird <laughs> and strange. Um, because, yeah, acronyms. Uh, the first thing is that it's an uh, <laughs> A critique of human experimental psychology um, that's been going on for a couple of years uh, is that very often when you pick your your populations to study, um, you choose weird people uh, because you weird. <laughs> You choose people that are from societies that are Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Weird. Uh, and then from these studies, um, you sort really of extrapolate um, to the entire population, to all people. And, and that's not how science works, guys. You can't yeah, extrapolate. Yeah. Or if you extrapolate, you have to be very... Um, cautious. Cautious and aware of the biases <laughs> that you introduce to your Weird. study. Um, and so people also did, um, follow this idea now and look critically at animal studies. And there they came up with the acronym of STRANGE, you strange. Can, um, which now uh, um, is not as straightforward <laughs> as an acronym because um, the S and No, R it was quite difficult. I tried to read this and it was very hard to follow the strange. There's, there's like a graphic. We'll link, uh, link that in the article. Mm. Um, so It's quite detailed though. Yeah. Like, it's not just like western educated industrialized rich and democratic weird it's like <laughs> social, quite yeah social contact induces optimism stands for s and r the self-selection varies personality is t 
Um, the experience and timing influence social uh, sociality is E and N and origin and acclamation effect activity is G and A. And I haven't figured out how the letters are linked to the story, but it's the idea, the, the idea is that there are also inherent biases in animal studies um, that are found again and again. Like you, if you select a, a bird from a group of birds to do experiments on, on behavioral um, experiments, um, you might pick the birds that are the bravest because they're the ones that actually approach you and engage with you to, for the experiment. And so suddenly you draw a conclusion from this bird's behavior, but you just selected for the braver part of the birds um and this is a very <laughs> strong uh, uh simplification um but i wondered what is the equivalent of that in in plants and my acronym that i propose this now with, so good, with no research whatsoever which just my opinion is that um when uh, human studies are weird animal studies are strange plant science is cringe and it stands for <laughs> i'm so impressed <laughs> the reliance on call zero and arabidopsis yeah. uh, accession line as your main uh, model of study which is a very particular uh, study and so be careful of that. That is mm -hmm. the C. The R stands for the lack of reproducibility, um, a crisis that we have all over science. It's not plant-specific, mm -hmm. but um, the reproduction of biological experiments is hard. Uh, the I stands for inbreeding, um, because we inbreed often our lines. And I had that with an algae line where it accumulated some weird mutations and it messed <laughs> up my thesis. Uh, or like one and we part didn't of the realize project. until like six months into your PhD when somebody new joined the lab and was like, you know, this is probably what's wrong. It's just like they immediately knew what was wrong, and but nobody else knew. Yeah. Um, so inbreeding. That's what happens when you don't have the right expertise in the lab you're doing your PhD in. <laughs> <laughs> The N stands for no negative results. Uh, we only publish po positive stuff. Also not plant science specific, to be fair. Um, but uh, people repeat the same uh, experiments again to figure out it doesn't work because they don't know that other people did it before. G is simplified genomes, which is a little bit of a stretch. Like I'm not enough of a genomics expert, but plant genomes can be very complicated. And I think there have been uh, a couple of studies where... Um, or projects where people struggle with the fact that they try to knock out a gene but there's like multiple copies of the gene on multiple chromosomes um so uh that's that and uh mm -hmm. finally e i stretched it even with more it's a mis missing extracellular biology um, nah, e should be ecology e should be the fact that no plant exists by better. itself and it works in a system which has like relies on the soil but also relies on biotic and abiotic interactions or if you don't want that you can make g into germs and talk about the bacteria i think that's these are both very these good are my additions. suggestions for improvement yeah and so yeah plant science is cringe i would like some lead authorship on your cringe study please yoram <laughs> I will be uh, the senior. The, what is it? The the senior author. Yeah. Corresponding author. You 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 have to deal with all the mail then. <laughs> I just had it like it's as all the mail M A L E and I was like, no, no. don't M I always M, <laughs> M A I L. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's a bit my job now, honestly. So that's okay. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, my good news is not really science, though. I didn't know we had to do science, you guys. Um, <laughs> my good news is that I didn't want to do my homework. So I just messaged a friend and was like, do my homework for me, find me some good news. Um, and they very kindly sent me 
a thing about Diego. Um, and Diego is a tortoise who has just been retired. It's a Galapagos Island tortoise. Um, and Diego is like a super breeder. He's the big, strong male hunky turtle tortoise who has um, given his seed generously to all of the female tortoises to make the um, breeding program very successful. He's just been retired and we'll put a link. I really encourage you to go and follow the link because there is pictures of tortoises being worn as backpacks, basically, <laughs> to carry the tortoises I'm back home. <laughs> and originally I thought that tortoise must be like knocked out. But at one point, one of them starts waving his little arms about. And I think it's I think that's the best thing to do. Probably putting them, sedating them is probably not great, I'm guessing. I don't think there's cruelty involved. It's just really, really great. And these are hero tortoises, so they should be carried. They shouldn't have to walk anymore. Like they've done their duty. They've <laughs> given their seeds. So now they can return to the wild. It doesn't look too graceful, though. It's not... Um I don't think tortoises are ever graceful, though. I don't think that's the point. Like, that's not on the scientist. That's on a tortoise for being a tortoise. Like, <laughs> it's not a graceful creature. <laughs> I also remember a story of the fact, I think um, I think it was from No Such Thing as a Fish, um, this fact that people kept on trying to bring these giant tortoises from the Galapagos to, like, I'm guessing the UK. I'm guessing it was, like, colonial. And they just, like, never managed because a couple of months into the sail journey on the ship they'd get hungry and they would just like flip the tortoise upside down and basically like eat it like it, it's meat that comes with its own bowl it was basically just like it was impossible for them to keep a tortoise alive for a six month journey or whatever because they would just constantly eat the tortoises oh that's kind of horrible <laughs> it's not good for the tortoise where do you keep your tomatoes tegan on the fridge or on the countertop uh countertop i keep mine in the fridge and do you know what it doesn't matter <laughs> it does matter um they keep a little bit uh f fresh for longer in the fridge but it doesn't matter in terms of flavor there was a study I done that's true. In, in i think that's incorrect <laughs> so i'm really happy to see you disprove the study <laughs> done in göttingen you, you know how earlier in, in the podcast i said that like as a good scientist when you come across evidence that refutes your prejudices or your stored beliefs you should be willing to change i take it back don't change never change tomatoes don't belong in the fridge that's all i'm saying unless you live in australia in which case they rot in one day if they're not in the fridge <laughs> yeah they in the study they had a panel of sensory experts which are our favorite tool um we i don't know remember which story it was but we talked about sensory the experts. wine story it was the wine story wasn't it coffee no, anyway. No, the, co the coffee. Yeah, it was the coffee. It was coffee that tasted like Chinese medicine and blackberries or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they also had a panel of sensory experts and they um, put the, the tomatoes at 7 degrees or 20 degrees after the harvesting them. And um, they realized that they, they, they couldn't find a difference between the, the two in terms of flavor. Um, they're only like the major driver, driving force of different flavor of tomatoes is the different varieties and not the way they're stored i'm sorry but i literally just had a conversation with a friend today who just moved back to germany um <laughs> about how german tomatoes have no flavor and uh, this is a german study and i'm just saying maybe their problem <laughs> is that they use german tomatoes <laughs> maybe that's the issue and i could just hear my mom listening to me now screaming it's tomatoes it's not tomatoes you're not from the u.s um but <laughs> too bad i'm stuck now my boss broke me um <laughs> maybe that's the problem like maybe if you were in a different country <laughs> with 
Maybe, yeah, no? maybe they no. have so little flavor that it really doesn't matter how you store them. But they, they tested a couple of varieties according um, Did to, they? to the abstract that I read. Yeah. The only difference is a rise from the variety grown. Well, that's, that's probably, sh- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I have some notes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other thing, I'm trying to now follow a link that I posted, but I don't think I put the link there properly. Um, there's some cool news from, I think I got it from the Nature Briefing, but I don't know, we can link to a story maybe on BBC News. Kathy Sullivan, you might have heard about her. She was, um, I think the first woman to do a, like, space walk out of the spaceship. One of the very, like, first female recruits to NASA. She went up into space as part of a space team that included two women so like um i think first woman in space with another woman at the same time but the first woman maybe not first woman in space first woman to complete a spacewalk that is definitely it um and now she's like the first woman to go to the lowest known point in the ocean so she's gone like 11 kilometers underwater um in this kind of submersible thing i mean there's an insane pressure down there and this has just happened. So I just, um, there's some nice stories about her. I can, we can maybe link to some about how she did this and kind of what her journey was, but it's quite cool. She went to the very top and she went to the very bottom. That's like, what would you be more afraid of? Like a spacewalk or a submarine dive to the lowest point? I would not do either. I'm a wuss. I, I don't deal well with small enclosed. But yeah, I, I, I don't I, like small spaces. I think spaces. it would also be the submarine for me. Uh, the deep but, ocean but is in anyway space, terrifying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Yoram. you got to be in a small space to get into space. Like, you can't go into space without being, like, confined first. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah don't, a, I don't think I would be okay with either of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I think I would rather, like, I also wouldn't mind, I wouldn't like to go up in a rocket and then be in a space station in, in very tight spaces. I but just... But if I had to I choose between the two, I once went on a boat and I vomited for six hours. Like I just kept vomiting for six hours from being like on a sailboat. I just don't think I would be good at traveling at like I don't know six times G or whatever the hell you have to do to go up and just. I just yeah. I, like the vomit. It doesn't fall to the floor in space. It just floats around. I just it doesn't seem like a good location for me. And again, also to get to the bottom of the sea, I probably have to go on top of the sea to start with, which means the vomit's happening all over again. And then I'm going in a small space. Like, <laughs> either way, I'm claustrophobic and nauseated. Like, this is... Yeah. There's not... Doesn't sound like a fun time for you. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but well done, Kathy. Um, it's nice to know that you can do what I cannot. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> turns out Kathy's better than me. I think we all knew that already, but congratulations <laughs> to Kathy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she did. She went into space in 1984, so before we were born, um, and now she's nearly 70. She's 68 years old when she went down to the bottom of the ocean. So that's also well Pretty done. Cool. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, my next story involves carbon nanotube sensors um, that. C- c- no. So, yeah. No, sorry. I thought I thought they were copper nanotubes, but it's not. It's carbon ones. No. <laughs> there's there's a paper about copper nanotubes, which is kind of famous because copper is cuprum cu and then you can guess what they short nanotubes to and then they just continuously refer to this throughout <laughs> work it out for yourself guys uh, yeah um these ones are carbon nanotubes and mm-hmm. um mit researchers 
put them into plant leaves and then they could detect live signals of uh, hydrogen peroxide signals and you could see the waves of that. That, that is um, usually a very damaging molecule but also involved in signaling. And mm. uh, usually when you uh, measure these things, you put in sort of genetically inserted sensors, so molecules that can sense the um, hydrogen peroxide. Uh, and that means you need a plant that you can genetically transform and you have to be sure that your genetic transformation doesn't change the thing that you actually want to observe. Um, it makes everything a little bit more complicated. Um, and so now here they developed a tool that you can just sort of insert into the leaf of any plant, not just the ones that you can um, genetically transform. And then you can follow the waves of um, hydrogen peroxide of this signaling molecule, uh, which I found pretty cool. It's, so it's sort of this this combination of um, nanotech, of, of high-tech, um, and, yeah, plant science. And they then in the, in the title, they said it can also send then the signal to your smartphone because whenever you have an electric sensor, um, it has to be smart and linked to your smartphone. But I think it was not the point of the study. The, the point of the, the work was to have this sensor, this nanotube sensor. Okay, so I have something about an opera house in um, Barcelona. This is also something where someone else did my homework for me. Um, <laughs> in Barcelona, there is the opera house um, called Liso Opera House. And next week, they will play a small concert with, a, I think, a string quartet. And it will be played for plants. Instead of having people, there will be plants. Um, it's not really clear what the reason is um i think it's an art basically an art installation it's um so there's a conceptual artist uh, eugenio ampudia who said it's aimed to kind of reflect on the covid situation people will also be able to listen via kind of a um like a internet link like it'll be live streamed as well but there will just be plants inside yeah, um, it's really cool. Um, I mean, the the photo that they have here, it's it's. Uh, That's not a, a photo. It's a Photoshop. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's edited, but it still looks really cool. Just imagining that, and I think the reason they do that is um, not only because it's cool and plants are cool. It's also the acoustics, right? Like an empty room sounds mm. very different from a room filled with people or with plants. Um, so I guess it will also help making the music sound much nicer, um, and the entire thing will look nicer. Um, and also, apparently, they're going to play Puccini's Chrysanthemums. This, I don't. That could be just a joke from the person who wrote the article, but I think it's true. Yeah, I know too little about classical music to to be a judge of that. <laughs> hey, people who are more cultured than us, let us know. Is that a thing? Is it a thing that's going to happen? But yeah, that 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 sounds really nice. I would I would like to to see that. Maybe I can figure out where the live stream is. Um, and tune in um so my next story uh involves also like we space again we talked about space um and it's about uh the the question is whether or not we can grow crops on mars and i found also on the guardian a very nice article it's a rather long read but it's very nice it's very interesting and um it opens up with this with the movie the martian have you seen the martian with yeah Matt actually i watched Damon? it again last week i think or a couple of weeks ago yeah it's a good isolation film <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> uh, stuck on Mars and he has to become, uh, he's a botanist and then he has to, to survive. He has to be a farmer on Mars and he grows potatoes. Wait, sorry, potatoes. is he originally a botanist? Is that his thing originally? He's a botanist? I think he's a botanist. I think like he, mm. he, that's why he has this, this knowledge about the plants. That's why he can survive there. And they brought a botanist um, on the space uh, uh, trip. Um, and then this article looks into like actual research that's been done on Earth around the idea whether or not we can grow crops outside of Earth on Moon and Mars. And the first thing that I learned from this is that the NASA has fake Moon and fake Mars soil. So they, hmm. they take the chemical composition that they measured from the various like um, experiments that they send up there. Uh, and then they recreate that soil on Earth and then do experiments with it. And then there is a researcher in the Netherlands um, who uses the soil, this artificial Mars soil, um, that's very rich in uh, heavy metals. Um, so something that's potentially very toxic either to the plants or to the humans who then eat the plants. Um, and See, I was experiment. just thinking I could make a lot of money selling this Mars soil to hipsters, but that might not be a good idea if it's got a lot of he heavy metals on it. Yeah, um, but he figured out that they the heavy min minerals actually don't end up in in the fruits if you choose the right crops uh, to grow. Um, and as a third, like the the soil is very dusty and and poor uh, in terms of nutrients, so fertilizing them with human waste is an option to add nutrients in there, and then also adding earthworms um, to turn over the soil. Earthworms. Um, yeah, they will then be mothworms. Um, to get some I'm crops the worst. growing I'm there. Sorry. <laughs> um, and other people are doing the same uh, experiment or similar experiments with um, moon material to figure out whether or not we can use the soil on the moon uh, to grow crops uh, for for yeah, long term missions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's a very <laughs> cool article um, and yeah, quite interesting. It would be cool to to grow crops in space like this. No, it wouldn't. Guys, let's let's try not to screw up this earth, yeah? Let's all agree that we'll try not to break this earth. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, my next thing is about the Elvis worms. Um, you might have seen this um, on IFL Science. Um, there have been four new species of deep sea worms, which are nicknamed Elvis worms. Um they're actually scale worms, so they're not like annelids, I don't think. They're kind of like a crustacean-y thing. Um, yeah. uh, the genus is called Pinaleopolinoe, which means hungry scale worm. <laughs> um, and they live like really in the deep sea. So maybe Kathy saw them when she went down there. Um, maybe that's why she went down there. Who knew? I think um, this story about the Elvis worms came out before she went down. So maybe she's like, I want to see some shiny worms. Um, anyway, <laughs> the reason the Elvis worms are called Elvis worms is because they look like they're wearing a kind of um, glittery jumpsuit, I think is, is the argument. And they are truly beautiful. Um, if you don't like worms, this is okay. It doesn't really look like a worm. It looks like a beetle with little tufts. Um, oh, it looks like a pill, be a pill bug. So um, roly-poly or, or slater or pudgypal if you're Australian. Um, and they're beautiful. They're, they're really pretty and shiny and yeah. Yeah, they look a little bit like wood lice to me. Um, oh yeah, that, that's also the same thing as a pill, pill bug, right? I... Wood louse. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so yeah, it's with louses, correct. Um, I don't know these these things like we call them slaters in Australia, but my my father always called them pudgy pals, and I don't know where that word comes from. I actually have no idea, and I thought he was saying pudgy power, so I just grew up calling them pudgy power. I thought they had the power of the pudgy, and I don't know what a pudgy is. Um, I really hope it's not something bigoted. Um, so then I was telling people about pudgy powers, and I think I was just the kid who kept on talking, even if nobody was listening. So none of my friends corrected me or had the chance to. And they were just like, hmm, short sure, and pudgy power. Um, yeah. So wood lice. They look like wood lice, but like a special wood lice that Very dresses up to go to the disco. Yeah. 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 Very 70s. I'm Googling Pudgy Power right now and it's not coming up because I really don't want it to be something like bigoted. But <laughs> just like, I don't even know how to say Pudgy. P- like, how would you even spell Pudgy? P-A-Pudgy. P-A-G-E-P-A-L-S? If- Guys, if any of you are Australian or has insane parents also, could you... Please tell me what's happening with my upbringing because I don't understand. I don't know what. Yeah. Okay. Please help. <laughs> it's either you or a therapist at this point. So somebody please wait in. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I um I think my yeah I think it's my last uh, real fact that uh, I brought tonight is um there has been a study where they took 112 papers from a discipline at random or like from these 112 papers they randomly chose um a group that were shared on twitter and uh, with a were shared on twitter to a follower count of uh, 58,000 followers and another set of these 112 papers that were not shared at all um and then they looked at the citation count uh over the span of a year and I found that the papers that were shared on Twitter independent of their content were cited four times more than the non-tweeted papers um, which highlights the importance of a presence on social media for researchers if they care about having their research read Um, of course with studies like this you can now start to question um, will this still work when everybody is doing that when suddenly every paper gets also tweeted a lot by the by the authors will that then be so much that people will st- uh, stop reading them or if that will scale up but we don't know but we know that at the moment it's it's helpful to f- uh, for your citation count to actually share the papers on social media especially on twitter um, that you write if you write papers I'm just reading the comments on this this Twitter thread. The first one is somebody's like, okay, so one one site with 58,000 followers, sure, but what if I have 58,000 sites with one follower each? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then somebody's like, tweeting may help, but publishing with at Elsevier certainly won't. <laughs> and it's like, this is not really related, but quite funny. Um, <laughs> my opinions are my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh people are are great and terrible at the same time and i love it yeah i think what's also important to say here is it's like one account with fifty eight thousand followers but a group of accounts that in total had fifty eight thousand followers um Ah. for that shared the paper i think if i um yeah 
So it's like entire group that has these 58,000 followers. Somebody wrote step one, get 58,000 Twitter followers. And then somebody said, I found that staying active on Twitter and tweeting things relevant slash interesting to your field can take you all the way from like 200 followers to like 280 followers. (laughs) 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 Sometimes Twitter can be a very fun place (laughs) when scientists are are making the jokes there. So all future abstracts should be 280 characters or less. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, great. People, you're amazing. Good. Yeah. Good. Well done. Well done, humanity. You have pleased me briefly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it for the fun facts, yeah? Yeah. I think we now just have a shout out that um, we should do um, to Awkward Botany, uh, a blog. Yes. Awkwardbotany.com. We mentioned them before. Um, because you bought zines from there, right? I think the the true course of events is we chose a book for our plant book club. Shout out to uh, the plant book club. Uh, <laughs> I think we actually have an at yet. Um, so we, with Ellen Earhart, um, Yaram and I and Ellen Earhart are doing a plant book club. We read every month a book about plants and then kind of do like a, a book club blog uh, podcast about them. So I think what happened is, Yoram, you recommended a book and you recommended it based on... Daniel's awkward botany um, review of the book. Yeah. And you told us that, and I immediately checked him out, and then I immediately forgot where I found out about him and just bought his <laughs> zine. And then, like, half a month later, I got this zine, and I was like, this is so cool. Who is this person? What is this? What's happening? And then I, like, actually went to the blog, and I was like, wow, this guy is really cool, and, like, read all of his stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> and now he... Um uh, now he wrote a very lovely review of our podcast, of this very podcast here. It's on so his blog. lovely. It was very nice. It was really, um, yeah, enjoyable to read that. And um, yeah, go check out his blog. It's really cool stories around uh, botany from from his uh, point of view. Um, I really enjoy reading that. And I think also on on top of just it being a very cool blog, it is a blog, and I just want to push sort of blogs again i think this will be my my panel for my my platform for this year will be uh, leaving um social media and writing your own blogs again long posts with your own opinions um <laughs> i quite en- enjoy reading those so for two very good reasons god go, knows you and i love to be verbose <laughs> go to awkwardbotany.com and have a look and my favorite bit about his review which is a really nice segue into um yoram's cat fact is the fact that he mentions that yoram doesn't seem to know what a cat is and thinks that every single animal is a cat so yoram take it away with your cat fact <laughs> of the day my cat fact of the day um, is that corvids are very smart because of their extended childhood. Okay, uh, just quickly, what is a corvid? A corvid is um, birds like crows and ravens. Magpies, yeah, all of those bastards. But where we know already from behavioral biology that there are very smart birds. Um, and now um, they, I found a story on Science Mac, uh, like... Um, it's the science journal, right? The, it's their sort of blog part um, where they uh, looked into research about why why that is, why are they so smart, and they found a link um, between the cognitive abilities and the length of their childhood. And the reason is that brains need a lot of energy and um, brain development uh, needs a lot of time. Um, so for most species... 
um, they don't they can't spend as many resources on them and so they don't develop the same cognitive abilities but humans for example have a very large brain that's that's fairly costly and our children have a very long time to develop their brains um, between like around 20 years let's say um, until the, the brain is fully developed um, well that's one of the greatest privileges we have in like modern yeah, and that's like why I hesitated society at this like point because yeah. it hasn't always been like this and it's not in all cultures like this that the, the time I mean is I long. like not getting married or going to war at the age of 13 like that's a win for me yeah um, but overall uh, we have a extended childhood where um, the children develop their brains and can learn um, things uh, and therefore increase their cognitive abilities. And some COVID species are the same. Um, they also have uh, around 2% of their body mass is brain, which is the same as in humans. And some species hang around their parents for up to four years, which uh, in, is then COVID years or crow years, which is equivalent to roughly 20 years in humans. So... <laughs> um, during that time they learn a lot from older birds and older birds put up with them like even if they're not as good at tasks yet the, the older birds feed them and help them support them with resources so they can train and get better at it um until they are fully mature and then okay it's like <laughs> i want to weigh in here because anyone who has listened to my crazy rambling for long enough knows that i have this like long-seated joke about how crows are basically going to take over humanity like crows yeah. zombies and velociraptors are the three things we should fear more than fear itself and what i'm hearing here yaram is that the best way to overcome the crows is to like fracture the relationships that young crows have with their parents yeah like encourage the young crows to go and get a bad haircut or like get really into heavy metal or like have yes. a bad boyfriend or girlfriend that the mom and dad don't like yeah. to really disrupt those like parental bonds during their teenage years to make sure that they don't learn anything that's what i'm hearing yeah crows from troubled homes are not as smart so that's the take-home message but maybe they get then more aggressive, so you don't know. Like you don't want to go take it too. I far. mean, obviously, I wear a Yoram face mask while disrupting their bonds. <laughs> I mean, I'm not stupid. I know. I know they will remember my face, and therefore, I'm going to make my face your face. This has always been my plan. <laughs> Very poorly related to this is a story that I read. I don't know <laughs> if it's true, but I like to think it's about training birds and wearing masks or outfits. Apparently, in some university in the U.S., somebody on the football pitch every day wore a striped t-shirt and was feeding the pigeons there <laughs> and was blowing a whistle whenever he was doing it and then when the season started again of football the referee who wears a black and white striped shirt blows his yep. whistle and all of the birds come in and the game had to, to be delayed by i don't know half an hour or two hours or something um, because they had to find a way to get rid of the birds because they were they were trained to just listen to the whistle and go to the man in the black and white stripes because he has food um <laughs> So I when don't know I was if being it's a true, brat, I, I used to, I used to always tell my my ex that I would like wear his face as a mask and go and throw stones at crow if he wasn't like nice to me, <laughs> just to like they'll learn to hate you and they'll come for you. Um, I would never hurt animals, guys, um, <laughs> or my ex. <laughs> um, but I find that funny that they can be trained to dislike people and they can tell other crows to dislike people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. With that, I think. No, I have an actual cat fact. 
No, it's not really a cat fact. It's a cat musing. I've decided from now on that my walk, instead of going for like a half an hour walk, I'm going to go for an X number of cat walk. So like <laughs> I'm going to do a seven cat today. So I, I walk my neighborhood until I find seven cats and I'm not allowed to go home until I've found seven cats. <laughs> Try it, guys. I recommend it. That would mean, for me, it would mean I would have to lo- walk a very long distance. If I Even if I say one cat, um, it's I, I rarely see cats going around here. There's so many cats. There's like some people in our neighborhood who have like, actually, there's one lady who owns seven cats. That's why the number seven came up. She owns seven cats. So, I mean, my housemate Just and I have also had some discussions. And you can go back home. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So if I'm I'm low, I can just go past that house. Um, but <laughs> this has then also triggered discussion of like, is is that too many cats? Like, I I think that feels like an okay number of cats. Like, am I the problem or is society <laughs> the problem? Like, how many cats is too many cats? <laughs> okay, I think with that um, with that very useful tip to our listeners, just go for walks until you see a number of cats. Um, it's time to wrap up. Um, we will restart our blogging as well now so make sure you check out plantsandpipettes.com where we will write and we wrote in the past many many articles already and we will continue to write more about two a week about all sorts of things from plant science and apparently Yarm's really into blogging now so yes that's blogging is (laughs) really cool guys you should check it out Um, so check out our blog check out our Um, blog yeah, on Instagram or on Facebook, usually you can talk to me. Um, that's at Plants and Pipettes on either of those. On Twitter, you can talk to me. That's at Plants Pipettes. Um, you can rate us on iTunes. That would oh, be yeah. very kind of you. Or wherever you listen to podcasts and it has a rating. I, I recently learned that there's like more places where you can rate podcasts. So yeah, if, well. if your player that you choose has its own rating system, um, be so kind and rate us there. Um, mm. and tell your friends uh, about us or if you don't like our show tell your enemies about us <laughs> as long as you tell people about us it's gr- it's great yeah if you don't know how to what to comment just like go and take some inspiration from the wonderful glowing um, phrase that was given to us by Awkward Botany <laughs> just I mean comment five stars your arm doesn't know what a cat is that will make me really happy <laughs> yes please don't do you that. want me to be happy you want me to be happy um, if anything you we've said today is wrong or you think we need to think about some more things, please get in contact with us. Um, we always want to know. We're happy to correct ourselves and learn more. And um, yeah, and our opening and closing music is Caravana by Philip Gross. And that's it for today. Goodbye. Have yeah. a good time. Stay safe. Stay safe out there. Bye. Bye. Dun 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 dun. Strain. Weird. Oh, that one cringe. <laughs>